the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. And a good morning to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to Always Right Radio on a Monday. It is 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock. It's the 24th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. I intend not to waste this day, and I hope you are with me on that front. We are very, very crowded today. We have a lot of, a lot of important things that we are going to discuss with a lot of very important people, as a matter of fact. So uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to conversations with the following four people. That's right. We've got four guests on the program today. Coming up in a half an hour for the second straight show. How about that? We're going to be talking with, um, with uh, Jim Jordan. We talked to Jim Jordan on Friday because of his schedule last week with the field hearings in Manhattan. So we were a little bit later than normal. But we did talk to uh, Jim Jordan on Friday, and now we've got him back for his regular slot today because Monday is his uh, is his regular time. So I'm very much looking forward to a conversation with Jim Jordan. He is going to talk to us about the agreement that has been made to actually uh, get testimony from former overstuffed Alvin Bragg prosecutor mark pomerantz he's gonna he's gonna testify bragg dropped his uh 
uh, dropped his uh, lawsuit. When he lost it, he was going to appeal it, but then he dropped the appeal against Jim Jordan to stop Pomerantz from testifying. Testi- he is going to give testimony now alongside of counsel. So I'm not sure how valuable it will be, but we're going to talk to Jim Jordan about that, among many, many other things. Coming up at 10.10, Chris Long will join us, the pastor. Chris Long, he is the uh, leader of the Ohio Christian Alliance, as you know, and they are pulling out all the stops. Full court press, as are many pro-life and conservative organizations all over our state in trying to get HJR1 passed. It got through its committee, which we know. It now needs 60 votes in the House to put it on, put it on a special August ballot. That means full court press on Speaker Jason Stevens, and more specifically on the uh, all 22 of the trans Dems who stabbed Ohio conservatives in the back. Let's see if they actually are pro-life or if they are all talk. So that uh, conversation is coming up at 1010. Ian Pryor is going to be joining us at uh, 1035 as we continue to talk about this fight, and we're going to tell you all day long and all week long about PJTN proclaiming uh, justice to the nations, you know, the Taking Back America's Kids Ohio Summit that's coming up on Sunday, the 30th. Well, he's Ian is not part of that, but he is the author of Parents of the World Unite, How to Save Our Schools from the Left's Radical Agenda. So that's a big deal, and uh, it's a big story, and they've got a 12-step plan that he's going to talk about, Ian's going to talk about uh, with us at 1035. And then at 1110, Jonas Schultz is out uh, uh, is uh, going to be joining us. He has got a number of events that he is pushing and promoting as he continues to be very, very active uh, after his uh, uh, run for the uh, Congress, for the United States Congress, was unsuccessful. He has not stopped moving. He has written a book. We had him on the air about that, and we're going to talk to him about a couple of other uh, avenues as well. So we're looking forward to Jim Jordan, Chris Long, Ian Pryor, and Jonas Schultz. He's all the way at 1110, coming up this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. And of course, we always like to hear from you. It's not always easy. We're not a caller-driven radio show. Caller-driven radio is, is lazy radio. I like hearing from you, but I do not rely upon calls. I've got a lot of great people and a lot of great things to talk about. But when you have something to say, you better believe I want to listen to it. So you dial when you're ready and when you have time and when you have a spot in between all of these guests that we have. Whenever you have something to contribute, I am more than willing to receive it. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Those are the numbers to join us. Now, before we get started on some of the top stories of the day, what do you say we rise like we always do and put, uh, or excuse, yeah, put your hand on your heart and uh, face your flag and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a believer in things like bankrupting every American with the Green New Deal, which is back, well, then you don't believe in the liberty that that flag we're about to pledge our allegiance to represents anyway. So you're exempted from the request to uh, to deliver that pledge. You may instead take a knee someplace off to the side next to your favorite unemployed quarterback. As for the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You know, it's interesting. I've actually got two uh, AOC uh, stories to kind of include in our opening monologue this morning, two of them. Because she is just that uh, much of a lunatic, she has actually earned uh, space for both both of these things. Um, Alexandria Damasio Cortez 
has reintroduced her Green New Deal, uh, as it is known. She has reintroduced the Green New Deal and its price tag of over $92 trillion. I wish I could do a Dr. Evil voice or whatever it is, whatever it is uh, Mike Myers. Uh, $92 trillion. That is what uh, experts in the field uh, say that achieving all of the goals of the Green New Deal, that's what it would cost. I want you to, I want you to ponder that for a moment. She defended her reintroduction of the Green New Deal on Sunday, yesterday, on uh, uh, MSNBC, as she spoke with host Jen Psaki. You remember red-headed Jen? The, uh, pep- we, some people called her Peppermint Patty. My friend Dan Ramada gave me the best nickname for her, which was Propaganda Patty. It all worked out very, very well. At any rate, she now hosts uh, left-wing propaganda on MSNBC. And AOC joined Propaganda Patty to talk about her Green New Deal reintroduction. She argues that it is time to aggressively transform the American workforce. Quote, you, this is uh, Jen Psaki, you just reintroduced the Green New Deal. When you talk about big, expensive new programs, that's where you sometimes hit resistance. You think? How do you convince those people, people who believe climate change is real, it is a crisis, but they're not, they're concerned that some of these proposed solutions are too grand? And here is what Damasio Cortez said. Quote, It is important to acknowledge that the scale and the scope of what we are proposing is massive, but the scale and the scope of the climate crisis is even bigger. If we are not proactive about very aggressively and transformationally addressing our infrastructure, our workforce, our preparation for the climate crisis, then the costs of not addressing it are going to be far greater. I'm pretty sure there is no cost that could be far greater than the $92.9 trillion that expert analysts say that your ridiculous proposals would cost this country. This country would cease to exist. Moreover... When you want to fundamentally transform our infrastructure, as you are talking about, it means destroy it. Let's just call it what it is. To fundamentally transform our infrastructure, you would have to literally destroy our infrastructure. And on what is our infrastructure built and based? The answer to that question is fossil fuels. It is proven time and time and time again that we literally have an unlimited supply. And I know they call that, call it, uh, limited. They call it fossil fuels, you know, a finite supply. There's an end to it. But the reality is we haven't seen it. We have no earthly idea where it is because it is so far off because this nation, uh, and yes, this globe, which also relies upon the same fossil fuels, float on oil. I mean, literally. Our coal deposits and mines, I mean, we, there are so many of them we haven't even tapped some of them. Uh, same thing with our with our natural gas, which is why we promote fracking. These things are virtually limitless, and they're easily the most affordable for all of our needs. And they want to kill them all. We are going to kill fossil fuels, we were told. You don't have to agree, but I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate with you, okay? That is what she calls transforming our infrastructure. Getting rid of every gasoline-powered uh, vehicle, tool, appliance, all of it. Just get rid of all of it and replace it with windmills and solar panels. You could blanket the entirety of the United States landmass 
with solar panels and still not generate enough power to run this country for a day. I'm talking about ever, never. When we first introduced the Green New Deal, we were told that our vision for the future was too aspirational, ADC said. Four years later, we see core tenets of the Green New Deal reflected in the Inflation Reduction Act, the largest ever federal investment in fighting climate change. How about that? Something truthful came out of the mouth of the the dense uh, bartender. She literally admitted that the Inflation Reduction Act was not about reducing inflation. It's about climate change. It is about satisfying the desires of the gangrene crowd. But there is still much, much more to do to make environmental justice the center of U.S. climate policy, she said. And there's that word again. Everything that they do, they put a label on that makes what they're doing sound like it's righteous and just and and positive, and they hide what the reality of it is. It's like that Inflation Reduction Act. Lie. Complete lie. Nothing to do with inflation. In fact, uh, those who analyzed it, talking about the nonpartisan CBO, looked at it and said, if anything, it will raise inflation over the course of 10 years a slight amount. It will not reduce inflation. But they called it the Inflation Reduction Act. Social justice indicates justice for everybody. And all it is is, is affirmative action and the demonization of straight white males. And, yes, climate justice or environmental justice. It makes it sound like we're going to do, do justice by our Earth. Our environment doesn't deserve to be attacked the way that it is by greedy, evil corporations, and we have to stop them. Those greedy, evil corporations, the ones that create jobs, the ones that employ Americans by the millions, those those corporations and businesses who would be hit the hardest by this end of fossil fuels that they're pushing, yeah, they're the ones. But, but, but it would be justice, you see, because of the damage they have done to the environment. So that was part of ADC. And again, I call her Alexandria Damasio-Cortez. You don't have to. Um, I've actually said that to members of Congress as well. They won't join me on that, but I think they kind of agree silently. That was only one of uh, what ADC made the news for this morning and one of my uh, lead stories for this morning. The other one was the belief in um, censoring people with whom you disagree. Killing, wiping out, or ignoring, one way or the other, the outcome is the same, the First Amendment. If you don't like what somebody else says, they shouldn't be allowed to say it. That's the other line that we got from ADC in her conversation with Jen Psaki. She was speaking of Fox News' recent $787 million settlement uh, that they made with Dominion Voting Systems, which I have not commented much on because I don't have much to say about it. It's uh, it's not going to hurt Fox News. They're not going to be struggling with cash flow. If you don't know, they make an average of $4 billion a quarter at Fox News. A quarter. Not a year. A quarter. Somewhere between 14 and $16 billion per year. Their $787 million settlement with the Dominion is going to change nothing for them. But it did beg the question from AOC and all of the others who are just, you know, uh, so anti-Fox News. We have very real issues, she said, with what is permissible on air. And we saw that with January 6th. And now uh, we saw that in the lead up to January 6th. And how we navigate questions, not just a freedom of speech, but also accountability for incitement of violence. This is the role we have to explore through the law as well. Now this one, if you can believe it, 
is more egregious and more outrageous and should lead to more condemnation than even the Green New Deal ridiculous proposal. I'll let you hear it in AOC. I apologize in advance for hurting your eardrums, but I'll let you hear it in AOC's own words uh, talking with Propaganda Patty yesterday. Come on. Where are you? You've always got so much to say. And do you think media organizations or social media platforms should be accountable for the role, for, for being platforms for incitement? I believe that when it comes to broadcast television, like Fox News, these are subject to to federal law, federal regulation in terms of what's allowed on air and what isn't. And when you look at what Tucker Carlson and some of these other folks on Fox do, it is very, very clearly incitement of violence, very clearly incitement of violence. and. That is the line that I think we have to uh, be willing to contend with. I will say it once, and maybe many more times after, but I will say it now. I hope Tucker Carlson sues her happy little bartending ass. That's what I hope. She just declared very, very clearly and very, very strongly that Tucker Carlson incites violence on his program. I challenge her, and I put it on Twitter, not that she'll read my tweet, but I put her put a note to her on Twitter saying, quote a line, any line from any Tucker Carlson show, one line that calls for violence, that incites people to violence, that promotes violence, one line, just one, I double-dog dare you to provide one of them. She can go back and watch every show, read every transcript looking for one, and she's not going to find one. She has defamed, she has slandered Tucker Carlson on live television and suggested that he should not, nor should anyone at Fox News, be allowed to avail their First Amendment rights, that they should be regulated that they should be silenced, they, they should be censored, they should be suppressed. These people then have the nerve to turn around and call people on the conservative side fascists. They want to silence and suppress oppositional opinions, and yet they call us fascists. There is nothing more fascist than that. The First Amendment was written to protect people like Tucker Carlson from fascist censors like Alexandria Damasio Cortez. Regulation in terms of what's allowed on air and what isn't. And when you look at what Tucker Carlson and some of these other folks on Fox do, it is very, very clearly incitement of violence. Very, very clearly incitement to violence. Tucker Carlson, sue her. Drag her stupid, bug-eyed butt into a courtroom and make her produce the evidence that you incited violence or scratch you a check right now. Make her do one or the other. It is the only way to deal with these fascist pieces of left-wing crap. Take her to court. All right, it's 926. I'm ready to go. I'm fired up. We've got an important week in front of us. We've got a big day today. Congressman Jim George is going to be joining me after the bottom of the hour break right here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 9.36 now. Thanks for joining us on this Monday morning. Let's welcome Congressman Jim Jordan back to our program now. Second straight show we've talked to him because of the uh, scheduling issue last week. We had him on Friday, but we're glad to have him back now on his regular Monday time slot. The chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm fine, Bob. I uh, hope, uh, hope you had a good weekend. It did indeed, and I hope hope for you as well. Um, so somewhat good news. New granddaughter, for you. new granddaughter, Bob. New granddaughter. New granddaughter. Oh my goodness! Yeah, Hold on yeah, a second. Yeah. Hold on yeah. a second. Can you dig it? That is, that is, can you dig it? Worthy. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Yeah, thank to hear. you. That's great news. So, Congressman, you and I spoke about um, uh, Mark Pomerantz on Friday. We talked about um, yeah. uh, about Alvin Bragg, and it looks like some things happened after our conversation on Friday. You've yeah. agreed uh, or f- found a way to reach an agreement with Alvin Bragg. He dropped the appeal of his lawsuit against you in which he tried to stop this uh, uh, former prosecutor, Pomerantz, from testifying before your committee. Uh, yeah. So he is going to testify with one caveat. He gets to have his counsel with him. Is that right? Yep. He'll, he'll be there. Um, you know, we talked, I think, last week that we, we couldn't have got a stronger decision from the court uh, in our favor. Of course, they appealed, which which we expected. Um, and, you know, uh, I think we'd have been fine at the, at the, at the appeal level. But um, it's worked out. Our, our team did just an outstanding job, our lawyers. And, and uh, we will be uh, having a deposition with Mr. Pomerantz on, I think, May 12th is the day. You know, I asked you on Friday um, what you expect to learn from Mark Pomerantz, and I want to reverse the question now and ask you: Why do you think Alvin Bragg does not want him to testify? What, what, what do you what do you think he's trying to cover or hide? I don't know. I, I don't know. But uh, you know, we want to we want to talk about. He made all kinds of statements in his book. His 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 um, his attitude, his his terribly negative attitude towards President Trump, is evident from his book. Says all kinds of terrible things. Um, so we're going to ask those, we're going to ask questions about that statements he's made in public, statements he's made in interviews, and frankly, as I indicated, we want to uh, we want to talk about you know were, was there any type of of uh, coordination with with the Biden White House or the Biden Justice Department? We don't know that there was, may not have been, but uh, so I don't know why Alvin Bragg. I think it's probably just this, this general principle he cites. But the the court said in their their decision. You know, because Mr. Bragg alleges, oh, this is the federal government trying to, to weigh in on a local matter. And uh, the court in the footnote, I thought it was pretty powerful. She said that Miss um, Bragg has, has to admit that this is the first time that there's ever been an indictment of a former president and a current candidate for president as well. So I think the term she uses that both both parties swim in untested waters. And then there was the, the, the bulk of the opinion was about the legislative purpose that that underlies our our reason for wanting to talk to Mr. Pomerantz and, and legislation that we're that's pending, um, but again, strong a strong decision uh, in in our favor. No question. And this goes forward. I think I read uh, May twelfth. Right is when uh, Pomerantz will testify. Yep. Okay. So yep. so he's he's got plenty of time to prepare. Do you think there will be any uh, denial of of questions or refusal to answer questions? Obviously, he's got his lawyer there for a reason. Um, so I mean, do you think you're going to be able to get done what you want to get done, or will he, on the advice of counsel, not answer that question? Uh, there, there may be some back and forth on on some things, but you know, we, we knew all along we weren't going to ask about grand jury material. But what we're going to ask about is statements that Mr. Pomerantz has made and and, and dig into those. Um, and, you know, he wrote a book. He left in, in February of last year, went out and wrote a book, and uh, then went around and promoted that book. That book's been sold uh, all over the place, and, and he's done interviews. I think he did, even did 60 Minutes. So we're going to talk about those kind of things that are already public statements and dig into that. 
Let's move on to the Biden crime syndicate, which is the way I feel about it. You don't have to call it that, uh, but that's how I feel about it. At least 12 different family members have allegedly been involved in foreign business dealings, going back to the time when Joe Biden was vice president. This according to Representative Comer, who's in charge of the Oversight yep. Committee. Um, this is this is enormous. This is much bigger than we ever thought it was just when we thought Hunter was cleaning up, uh, trading it on the Biden name when he was in China, when he was in Ukraine, and so forth. Can you speak at all to what Oversight has discovered and this uh, this uh, well, remark this by is, the representative of twelve ma- family members being involved? Yeah, sometimes just look at the look at the facts that that uh, Chairman Comer and the committee have uncovered. Uh, I think upwards of one hundred and seventy now suspicious activity reports, like twenty three hundred pages of suspicious activity. Re- you know that are contained in those one hundred seventy uh, suspicious activity reports. That now uh, that the number has been reported as twelve Biden family members involved. Numerous numerous different LLCs that were set up to, to take money and transfer money. And it looks like all this money is coming from foreign entities. And then finally is, you ask the fundamental question, what was the service? What was the work? What value did they add? What expertise did they provide to get this money? And you can't find an answer to that question. So when you put all that together, you're like, wow, this sure looks sure looks a little suspicious, a little, little uh, unusual. I guess to to to, uh, to to use an understatement, and um, that's what Mr. Mr. Comer and the in the, in the oversight team are, are looking into. We we spoke on Friday, Congressman Jordan, about uh, Mike Morrell. You and uh, Congressman Turner uh, put forth uh, uh, some very important information here, alleging that. Um, Former yeah. at the time uh, campaign advisor uh, Tony Blinken was responsible for the letter um, that prompted Mike Morrell, the CIA director, the acting CIA director, to get these fifty-one uh, uh, former spies or, or intelligence agents to say that the Hunter Biden yeah. laptop was was Russian disinformation. Since that time, since you guys put that out, I read a couple of articles of people on the left accusing you of taking uh, much of that out of context, or you didn't provide the rest of the information from Morrell's testimony. Can you speak any more to uh, what you feel happened with that letter? No, I'm just I'm just telling you what happened in the in the uh, deposition, or excuse me, in the interview. Um, uh, Tony Blinken contacts Morrell. That's what prompts him to begin looking into it. He looks into it. He concludes that he he, th- he actually thought there was Russian involvement. You know, mm-hmm. go go figure. He he thought that that was the case. But it was the Blinken that uh, 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 contact that first got him interested in it. And then because of that, he organizes and gets fifty other people to sign this uh, statement, this letter that goes out on the nineteenth. He told us it was the reason he did it was because he wanted Biden to win. He wanted to help the Biden campaign. He was convinced Trump was going to bring it up. President Trump was going to bring it up in the debate, which of course we knew was going to happen. And he wanted Biden to have something to, to rebut that and to, and, to, and to argue against that. And all that played out. And then when it all plays out on the 22nd, he gets, uh, he gets on the phone with Steve Reschetti, who's the chairman of the Biden campaign. And what's Reschetti do? He thanks Morrell for doing it. So if that's not political, I don't know what is. And oh, by the way, also one of the things, one of the facts that Mr. Morrell conveyed to us during the deposition was that um, the, the Biden campaign told him who he who they wanted this this information this letter to first go to who in the press they wanted it to go to so there was that kind of coordination too so to to say that there wasn't just uh, doesn't square with what he testified to under oath 
in that transcribed interview. See, now, if all of those things that he testified to are true, I mean, this is this is just extraordinary corruption. I mean, I hate people hate the phrase whataboutism, but I cannot help it. What if Donald Trump, what if everything you just described had been done by the advisor to the Trump campaign to Trump about this letter uh, that they that they wanted to get out there to, you know, uh, uh, to yeah. avoid avoid uh, any uh, appearance of impropriety from Donald Trump Jr. or Eric Trump or what? We flip the whole thing around from tr- Biden no, Trump. Course. What happens? My goodness. Right. I mean, you know, there's of an course. investigation that's years in the years in the uh, you know, in the carrying out that would be going on here. And the left just wants to bury this entire thing. I know. Well, they were, you know, the left was was happy to report this kind of thing. Natasha Bertrand's story in Politico, the headline was it uh, 51 former intel say it was a Russian disinformation. Camp. You know, that, that's the headline. So it all worked just like they wanted, just like they intended. Now, M- Mike Morell may have may have legitimately believed that. That's what he testified to uh, in the interview, that he thought it was Russian involvement. He, he, he believed the sentence that it had the earmarks, classic earmarks of Russian involvement. Fine. But that doesn't that doesn't change the facts that it was prompted by the contact from Mr. Blinken on the 17th. They put exactly. it together. The, the Blinken can the, the Biden campaign was telling who they wanted to what which media outlets they wanted to get this information. And, of course, thank them for for uh, for what they did. And, and this is the part that I meant when I said the left wanted to bury. They want to bury the 12 family members, you know, this issue that they were involved yeah. in foreign business dealings. They want to bury Tony yeah. Blinken's involvement in what Mike Morrell did, uh, said or, uh, yeah, did all of it. with yep. that letter. And then, of course, what he testified to. They don't want anybody talking about this anymore. Uh, the Democrats don't want to talk about Joe Biden anymore. Numbers from NBC. Seventy <laughs> uh, percent of the of Americans do not want Joe Biden to run again, including a majority, 54 percent of of, of Democrats. I mean, and Joe Biden's about to, I guess it's going to be on video because they can't trust him to speak live. Uh, he's going to announce his uh, his uh, 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 camp, uh, his campaign starting tomorrow. Yeah. Now, isn't it, isn't it sad? I mean, you actually, the, to, to see the way the, the president, you know, just how he conducts himself, what goes, I mean, it's sad that that is the state of affairs in, in the greatest country ever. And I wish, you know, we don't wish any anything bad on, on President Biden. In fact, we wish, we wish, you know, he's our president. We wish he was wish wish he would was up to the job, but he just doesn't seem like he is up to the job. And then, of course, you look at what's happened, and there is not one policy area where you can say good things. You can't say good things about energy policy. You can't say good things about the border. You can't say good things about inflation. You can't say good things about foreign policy. There's not one area where you can say good things have happened uh, in this administration. It's been all downhill all, all, all since the good stuff we had back in in the Trump administration. So it's unfortunate, but I think he's going to run. Um, you know, he's just he's going to do it. And again, I guess it's one more case where the left doesn't care what the American people think. Uh, they're just going to do what they want to do. And, and here we go again. Is it ego that would make him do this? I mean, you look at him and he's calling a lid, as they call it, uh, shutting down his operations for the day at nine o'clock in the morning uh, on a regular basis. He cannot physically handle the grind of being the president. Right. So you, you wonder why a, a guy in his 80s wouldn't want to just kind of fade away a little bit and hand the baton to somebody else. Is it ego that says I can't just be a one term president? I don't know, but it, but it also may be who else they're going to run. You know who's who's well, you know greasy step in there. you know greasy Gavin is just chomping at the bit. He's making one of yeah, these nationwide won- tours, attacking Ron DeSantis in Florida, attacking one of the most successful states. By the way, he comes from California, which is hemorrhaging yeah. five hundred thousand residents in the last two years. Florida has taken in seven hundred thousand new people in the last two years, yeah. and he's going to go yell right. at Ron DeSantis on how to do his job. But greasy Gavin has got to be just waiting for this. Well, he, yeah, he definitely has an interest. You can you can see that. But what, what's his campaign? You know, I'll do for the country what I did for california i don't know that that sells too well so but i don't know who else they run 
And remember, Joe Biden, when they ran him last time, he was supposed to be moderate Joe, Scranton Joe, lunch pack Joe, you know, <laughs> old corn pop, all, all those things that he was supposed to be. It, it turned out to be different. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who 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 they're going to run if they don't go with uh, the guy who's currently in the office. So I, I think that's probably a lot of what's driving it for the Democrats. But um, we'll see. What I do know is President Trump's up for the job. I was with him a week and a half ago in, in Indianapolis at the NRA convention. He's strong as ever. Um, talked with him over the over the past week. He's he's doing great. Had a great week last week. You saw his poll numbers in the Wall Street Journal poll. You saw he gave that big speech down in, in Lee County, Florida. Um, I mean, I think he's 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 often running in a, in a strong way. Uh, and, and again, it's a big contrast, uh, real contrast to, uh, to to Joe Biden. Congressman Jim Jordan, uh, let's talk dollars and cents for a moment here, if we can. You and I spoke about the uh, the, the debt ceiling deal or proposal that was made by um, by mm-hmm. Speaker McCarthy on Friday. Um, I was interested in the reaction of the chairman of the uh, Freedom Caucus, the uh, the uh, congressional yeah. group that you started and fo- co-founded. Yeah. Um, Congressman Perry says no. He doesn't like it. He says he would agree to an increase in the debt uh, ceiling, an even higher one that is proposed here, but he wants deeper cuts. He's not satisfied with what was proposed here. Uh, you surprised by that? Uh, no, I, I think I think the, the the Freedom Caucus. We got a lot of stuff in there that that we wanted. Uh, I think it's I think it's a good uh, initial offer here. Uh, probably going to push for the Freedom Caucus and Scott are going to push for so a few more things. But I think overall, this would be the, the biggest amount of cuts ever associated with a debt ceiling increase. Probably, probably, I mean, literally, I mean, ever. So I think it's a, I think it's a good start. We'll, we'll probably have a few more negotiations go on this uh, next few days. But I do anticipate something that's good enough for us all to support in the end, being there that we can support. What, what I really hope we get into it at some point is um, this idea we're never, we're not going to have a shutdown. Um, so this is a little different than the debt ceiling, but to use the debt ceiling to get that language in law so that when we get to the, the next big issue, which will be the appropriations, and we get to September 30th, October 1st, the end of the fiscal year, that we uh, we don't go into some shutdown when Joe Biden wants to just keep spending like crazy uh, uh, during the appropriations process. We'd actually go into, like, we'll just spend what we currently have, and then we'll that'll ratchet down each month we don't get our job done. I think that's a, that's a smart way to do it, and it takes the shutdown scenario off the table um, so that's one of the things I do think would be great to, to add into this debt ceiling. But I think in the end we're going to get something good that we'll send, uh, send to the Senate. And then, frankly, let's see if Joe Biden actually will do some work and start negotiating with the Speaker of the House. Well, uh, that, that, I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to ask you about the White House response. Green Jean-Pierre uh, essentially said it's a non-starter. There's no way this guts every important thing that all American families need and so on and so forth. And they go into the Inflation Reduction Act and so and, and beyond. But they're basically saying this, there is no way they're going to agree to any cuts. They want that clean debt ceiling increase. <laughs> when, but when you have split government, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to take my football and go home. You You have to negotiate. That's how our system works. Now, Maybe Debbie Dingle pretty much tip. said that yesterday. I'm, I probably, I was listening to Dingle say that yesterday. She pretty much was basically saying that we want a clean debt increase. That's it, or else we're yeah. taking our ball and going home. They don't want to. They don't want to yeah. negotiate over this. Well, like, like I mean, you and I, we learned that you know, playing kickball and wiffle ball and, and and football and getting in fights on the playground. We learned that way back when. So like, but you, maybe the, I guess maybe the Democrats didn't learn that. But you, you don't get to operate that way. Um, that, that particularly when you have government and you got the the republicans controlling the house and 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 the democrats the white house like come on
Yeah, no, I, I concur, but it's just, it's very interesting to listen to them. Last question for you is on uh, uh, um, the the Supreme Court decision last week. They're allowing the abortion pill to stay on the market, at least for now. Basically, they've kind of punted this a little bit. It's not a final decision. But are you troubled as a pro-lifer? Didn't didn't the Dobbs decision last summer that that essentially ended Roe v. Wade mean that it's now up to the states? How are we having a federal decision on this that nationwide the abortion pill can stay on the market in all fifty states regardless of what the states say? Isn't that kind of counter to what the what the court decided last year? Yeah, I mean the 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 Dobbs court did did say that, and then you know we all supported that that decision. Something the pro life community has been working on for a long long time. Um, but I do think that the, the positive here is this is just this is going to get appealed. This is just this is the deal with the FDA. So I don't think this is a, a final here, and we need to look at it that way, and we'll let it work through the the system and see what the ultimate decision is. So I, I do feel okay with with the the idea that we're going to get an appeals process. But you're right, man. We want we want pro life decisions every single time because we understand that that's a unborn child there, and uh, we want to protect uh, the sanctity of, of human life. So, but the, I, I think the positive here is. This is, I think, short term, and we'll see what the appellate court says. But, um, yeah, I agree with you. Well, let's hope it's very short term. Congressman Jim Jordan, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. Great conversation, sir. Thank you for the insight. We appreciate it. Keep up the good work. All right. right, Thanks, Bob. Take care. That's Jim Jordan on AM 1420. The answer It's 953. We'll take a time out here. Maybe on the flip, we can get a call or two. I told you we have to pick our spots today. We're very, very crowded with guests. We've got another guest coming up at 1010. We're going to talk to Pastor Chris Long. So if you want to get in on any of these issues, do so now at 216-901-0945. We'll be back. Okay, the uh, good folks at the Ohio Christian Alliance are issuing a call to action, as are all good conservative groups and pro-life groups across the state of Ohio. The call to action is on HJR1, that's House Joint Resolution 1, and that would be to get a special election in August in which we can put a uh, a ballot initiative to raise the um, threshold to change the Constitution in the state of Ohio from 50% to 60%. It's extraordinarily important if we're going to stop the abortion-on-demand outside of Ohio left-wing takeover in November. It must happen. And Chris Long, who is the president of the Ohio Christian Alliance, is going to join us to tell us more about this call to action and what we can do to uh, help the cause. Chris Long will join me after the news. Stay right here. Always Right Radio Hour 2 is coming right up on AM 1420 The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now at nine minutes past ten o'clock. They will stop at nothing. To get abortion on demand in the state of Ohio. Who's they, you ask? It's not just Ohioans. It's part of the problem. It's part of the one of the reasons why we continue to talk about this and why we have to put this full court press on and we have to do it for the next five months. Uh, it, it's just it, it, six months. It's it's um, There's no alternative. We have no choice here. They are the 
pro-abortion activists with Planned Parenthood and every other abortion rights or abortion profiteers, if you will, around the country that look in states like Ohio and they see a golden opportunity here because they have a ballot initiative already uh, uh, ready to go. It has been approved, the language, by the uh, Attorney General and the Secretary of State. It's been, uh, it's going to be there. It's going to be on the ballot in November as long as they get their 440,000 or so signatures. The question is, is will Ohioans who are pro-life allow abortion on demand to be embedded into the Ohio Constitution? Well, as I said in the opening of the show, a lot of Ohio pro-life groups and conservative groups are fighting very, very hard to make sure that does not happen. And joining us now is one of them. Chris Long is the president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. He is also a pastor. and He's our good friend on AM 1420, The Answer. Pastor Long, good morning, sir. Thank you, Bob, for having me on today. I appreciate it, and especially since this HJR1 is uh, reaching a critical phase. And so I'm glad to be on with the listeners today because... We need to call, have them call the Speaker of the Ohio House, Jason Stevens, and urge him to put HJR1 on the floor for a vote this week. Now, let me give you that number. The number to call the Speaker is 614-466-1366. Again, that's 614-466-1366. And that is on our website at Ohio Christian Alliance. Just search that. It's right at the top of the page. And you can click on that icon as well, and then it will take you to a fillable form to send him an email as well. But he needs to hear from a lot of Ohioans right now to put this HJR1, the constitutional resolution, to raise uh, the constitutional amendment passage to 60%. It passed committee on Wednesday, and some of the listeners will remember we were pushing for a discharge petition. Well, once it passes committee, the discharge petition is dead, and it's now within the complete purview of an authority of the speaker and if he waits if he uh waits and he plays out uh the clock then uh, we lose so we won't get it on the august ballot and we won't be able to vote on it in advance of the november election in which as you stated the uh, planned parenthood the abortion activists are seeking to enshrine abortion into the ohio constitution with a simple majority vote come november and they're going to have lots of money millions and millions of dollars pouring into the state and deceiving a lot of Ohioans who will vote for something that later on they'll regret. And we're trying to work uh, to educate as many Ohioans as we can in advance of that. Okay, a lot to unpack there. Um, first of all, about the the ballot initiative and the petitions they need. It's 400 and some odd thousand. I don't remember exactly what it is. And I think it has to represent 44 of the 88 counties in Ohio. Uh, you probably know that stuff more than I do. But, Chris, this is, uh, or Pastor Long, to be more uh, more more uh, professional with you, um, you know, the... The liars will stop at nothing to try to get this on the ballot. I have had people reporting to me they have seen some of their petition gatherers lying to people and saying, do you support women's health? Well, this is a bill to support women's health, and they're getting people to just fill it out based on that. Most people, when handed a petition, don't read the the you know the, the, the full text. They don't know exactly what it is. They just say, this is to protect, women, protect women's health. This is a, uh, and they may even use the word reproduction in some cases. This is to protect protect women's reproductive rights. Do you support that? Oh, I sure do. 
So if they're willing to lie that much just to get the signatures, it shows what their true intent is here, Chris, and it's not honorable. Uh, it is not uh, in support of life. It is literally to give them the right to kill babies uh, at any stage of gestation all the way through and maybe even during uh, the delivery of the child. Well, if a uh, petition circulator is giving false information, that that is uh, that can be actually challenged. So if people... Uh, do hear that, witness that, they need to call uh, Protect Women Ohio, report that. That's the group that's working against the ballot initiative. Uh, we're on that committee as well, Protect Women Ohio. Uh, they can call us as well at the Ohio Christian Alliance, and we'll pass that information along because... But it's very touchy, though, isn't it, Chris? Because they say, um, you, know, uh, you know, this is about protecting women's health, and this is the argument of the abortion you know, crowd, the, the pro-death crowd. They literally say abortion is a decision between a woman and her health care provider. It is nobody else's business. So if they say this is about women's health, they can say we're not misleading anybody. We're saying it's really a, an issue about women's health. That's right. They're going to be out there you know, saying, and that's the way that they wrote this proposal to mm-hmm. make it sound so uh, very acceptable to the general public. But in right. reality, it will enshrine abortion into law to the ninth month of pregnancy. It will wipe out all of our pro-life legislation that we've passed over the years, including uh, parental rights of notification will be gone. Uh, the ban on partial birth abortion, we did that 25 years ago in this state. That will be gone. It will be abortion under the ninth month. And so, folks, you really need to be aware of what's going on here. Do not sign that petition. That's right. Chris Long is telling you, do not sign that petition. Don't help them get to the ballot. Uh, make it as difficult as possible. You can't stop them from circulating, of course, but we can witness to see if they're falsifying information to people. Because when you sign that petition, it's a sworn affidavit, okay? And so that you're helping them to secure for the ballot. The Secretary of State will... We'll vet those signatures to see that these are indeed registered voters in the state of Ohio. They're they're probably going to shoot for a million. They need 415,000 by uh, July 5th. They're going to shoot for probably a million. Uh, We project that they're probably hovering around 100,000 signatures right now, maybe a little better. Uh, That's why we're hoping on this court case, the mandamus action that was filed out of Cincinnati, that will throw them back to the ballot board if the court decides that it's multi-issue, and it is. I mean, any layman can see. It's not just abortion. It's reproductive rights, meaning uh, transgender stuff is in there. Mm-hmm. That goes back to the ballot board. They divide the language. You have to write summary language. goes back to the attorney general, and they lose all the signatures they collected to date. We're going to find out what the Kennedy court's all about here, Bob, really quickly. And I just saw your your uh, anger uh, when you posted about what the U.S. Supreme Court did in allowing the abortion pill to be distributed uh, while this case is being heard. And and the Ohio Supreme Court did the same thing on the heartbeat law. I wasn't even aware until last week that uh, when it got appealed by State Attorney General Dave Yost out of Cincinnati, went to the State Supreme Court after Maureen O'Connor left and Justice Kennedy came to the court, uh, Dave Yost, the Attorney General, appealed the case. Ohio right to life, from what I understand, what Mike Anadakis tells me, is that they filed a motion to have the uh, injunction lifted so that the heartbeat law would go back into effect while the court is reviewing. And one of the justices, Pat Fisher, went against us, joined the Democrats, and allowed the, the injunction to stay while the uh, case is being heard and they could take their good old time on the heartbeat law. So that's kind of where we're at right now. And so mm-hmm. it's a time to pray, be vigilant, but be active. And right now, all eyes are on Speaker Jason Stevens. We need people to call him right now. 614. 614- 
466-1366, and I can tell you that Ohio Right to Life is reporting that they secured 60 signatures on a petition that says, yes, we will vote for the HJR1 resolution if it comes to the floor. So there's only one session day this week on Thursday. That's when the budget gets passed out. Gets passed out, And then there's only one other the following Tuesday before the deadline of May 5th. And so, I mean, this is we're going to find out if the betrayal of the 22 is complete. If this doesn't get done, if it doesn't get on the August ballot, then the betrayal is complete. They, they absolutely sold out to the Democrats, gave them exactly what they wanted, because they're hard and fast after the abortion lobby, and it's going to be on the November ballot if they get their signatures. And so uh, that's what's all at stake here, Bob. I know you care about it. I know the listeners do. And a lot of conservatives are, you know, starting to wake up. Actually, the, most of the base has not woke up yet, and we're going to be doing that. We're going to be going to churches all across the state. We're going to be sending them bulletin inserts. We're going to be contacting pastors, having gatherings. But right now, we're trying to get this thing on the ballot for August, and so all of our energy is about working the legislature. So, uh, again, it's all about getting HDR1 on the floor for a vote. We're going to find out what Jason Stevens did. What, what kind of commitment did he make to the Democrats? So if he does this, uh, you're going to see the Democrats just lose their minds, okay, because uh, they basically – uh, work this uh, betrayal out and this agreement with Jason Stevens, he would have to go against his agreement with them. Well, you're 100% right. Um, I think everybody knows that a deal was cut. Some kind of a deal was made between Jason Stevens and the other 22 uh, Republicans. I call them trans-Democrats and the actual Democrats um, in order to gain their power. For him to get the gavel, Stevens to get the gavel, and for all of the other 22 to get plum uh, campaign or excuse me, committee assignments and chairmanships and so forth. Um, Chris, I want to I want to go back to something you said in your first comments. We're talking to Pastor Chris Long, if you just turned us on, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Go to ohioca.org, and you can find the information Chris is talking about, including Speaker Stevens' phone number, a list of all state rep- representatives, and how to find yours to make sure that you push for this. Chris, I did not know something that you said. You said that if this gets out of committee, which it has now, that the discharge petition is dead. I didn't realize that because I know that just because this comes out of committee, it doesn't necessarily guarantee it's going to get a floor vote. Uh, and Jason Stevens, according to the rules package that they put in, can kill any bill from getting to the floor. I thought the discharge petition was a way around that. If he doesn't allow it to go from committee to a full vote, that the discharge petition can essentially uh, you know, uh, uh, render him null and void in that regard. Lots of people's credibility at the state house is on the line right now so ohio right to life has been running a petition mike Anadakis, he's a friend but mike knows that his credibility is on the line because he's been running out there with a petition to get 60 signatures present that to the speaker okay the discharge petition was saying we don't trust the speaker we've got to take this out of committee go directly to the floor for an up or down vote and if you get 50 signatures, it goes right to the floor. Next time he gavels a session, okay? Mm-hmm. And then, but if they passed it on a committee, now here's what happened. Uh, State Representative Scott Wiggum was the chairman of that committee. He signed the discharge petition just before the Easter recess. Mm-hmm. Then Jason Stevens removed him and with an angry letter said, how dare you? Took him off the committee. Put Phil Plummer in. Now, who's Phil Plummer? Phil Plummer is also part 
of the 45 that voted with Derek Marini. In fact, he's the only representative that called for the Speaker to resign, okay? So how does he get a chairmanship? Because he also signed the discharge petition. So then that's when you start to think, wait, something doesn't really smell right here. And I told, I told Phil Plummer the night before, he says, well, we're passing it out tomorrow. I said, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy that passes this out, gives it, gives it to this guy who sits on it, waits out the clock. Phil, don't be that guy. He said, oh, no, we're going to get this done. I said, well, this is going to come back. If it doesn't, then you enabled him because he said, well, the discharge petition is dead. No, it's not, only, it's not dead until you pass it tomorrow. That's so... And, that, and so once it's passed that committee, the discharge petition is dead. So we had 32 signatures on the discharge petition. When I went down last Wednesday, we were presenting Ten Commandments to uh, several of the members, and we were also checking on this, of course. And we went down to the clerk's office. We took pictures of the discharge petition. Sarah Fowler was the last one, 32. We needed uh, how many more to make 50, right? 18, so yeah. 18 more. Well, the drama was playing out. There were certain representatives. They didn't want to upset the speaker. They got to work with him on other legislation, this kind of thing. And all the folks, and I want to thank everybody that was calling, emailing, uh, urging them to sign the discharge petition. We had 32 that did, right? When I get down there at the clerk's office, Mike Gunadakis is sitting outside, and then comes Derek Marin and Scott Wiggum. Well, they hadn't been in agreement. And we at that point said, okay, sign both. And Derek says, okay, I'll sign yours right now. You know, I'll sign yours now. Because the discharge petition was dead at that point because that morning they passed it out of committee. So now all the onus, all the burden and responsibilities on Jason Stevens. He told Mike Gunadakis, according to what Mike reports, that if I see 60 uh, signatures on a petition, I'll bring it to the floor for a vote. So this is the thing. You know, it's, they're either lying to us. Or they're gonna they're gonna follow through as to what they said, or then they absolutely lied about the whole thing. So, is it written anywhere in Ohio law, or in the in the Constitution, or or I, I don't know where else I would look to see which of those two things is true? And and if we don't know, if maybe you were lied to, you know, because they didn't want to get the you know eighteen more signatures on the petition. Oh, don't worry about that. That's dead now. It passed committee. Maybe that was their way of trying. Oh to no, not get... it, it, no, that is in fact. So here's how it works: a discharge petition is to bring a bill directly to the floor from committee. When it's no longer in committee, when it passes out, it's into the purview and authority of the speaker. He's the one that controls it. So the moment so, it passed out, so then it is officially dead. That absolutely, the discharge petition was dead the moment it passed committee. Okay, and but so, Jason Stevens doesn't have to bring it uh, to the floor for for a full vote unless he decides to, which is that is correct. We're down to okay. appealing to the speaker himself. That's why all these calls urging him to do so. Now, according to the Chamber of Commerce, they also want this sixty uh, percent threshold. But I told them, you folks better work your calendar with us because I got to tell you something right now, Bob. We're for the 60% threshold mm -hmm. if it gets done before the abortion ballot, because if they try to put it on the ballot at the same time as the abortion ballot, we'll vote against it at that point. Yes. We're not going to allow them to enshrine abortion in law, then shut the door on ourselves. That's not going to happen. No. 
Well, no, I mean, I'm glad to hear you say that. I've talked to a number of people who've pointed that out. It cannot be on the bill at the same t- or on the uh, ballot, I should say, in November at the same time, because both of them would likely pass, and therefore it would be there forever because it would take 60% to get it off. So you're 100% right. This has to be done in August. Jason Stevens has expressed extreme reticence toward putting it on the ballot in, uh, in August, says that the Elections Commission doesn't want to do that. They're tired of the special elections. Republicans themselves said no more special elections. But then again, Republicans when they said that, did not know they were going to be stabbed in the back by one or 22 of their own, which is exactly what happened here. Um, so, Chris, the uh, phone number you said is on the website, right, at ohioca.org? That's right. The information is there. Call Speaker Stevens and urge him to put HJR1 on the floor for a vote this week, 614-466-1366. And you could just leave a message on the recorder. They'll get it. You can also click on the icon on our website with his picture, and it will take you to a fillable form where you can send him an email as well. Those emails and calls are needed, folks. So, uh, Bob, thank you for all your listeners. They're, they're the kind of folks who actually get up and do it, right? So they every do. day, even every day when they do the Pledge of Allegiance with you, right, wherever they're at, they also follow uh, the calls to action. And, look, we don't do false calls to action. And when we do as the Ohio Christian Alliance, I'm telling you and I'm bringing you this information this is all about the unborn in this state, and if you care about pro-life and you care about the unborn, this is the battle to get involved in now. There's no question about it, and um, we've actually called on the air a handful of times myself. I mean, I've made the same message and left the same message at least a, a half a dozen times uh, uh, for Speaker Stevens live on the radio, and I'll do it again just to inspire people. It's not hard to pick up the phone and hit the digit, 614-466-1366. Tell the Speaker you demand uh, that he bring this uh, to a floor vote so that we can indeed get a special election in August. Uh, it's the only way to uh, to stop these outsiders from coming in and... Uh, and embedding abortion and other horrible things into the Ohio Constitution. Chris Long, thank you for your leadership. Thanks for everything that you and the entire team at the Ohio Christian Alliance do, and we'll stay in touch. Thank you, Bob. God bless you, my friend. Thank you. God bless you, too. Thank you, Chris. It's uh, 1027. We'll be back. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Kind of glad that um, we just had that promo for uh, Sunday. <clears throat> Taking Back America's uh, Children Ohio Summit. Uh, because Lori Cardoza Moore is going to be coming on tomorrow. She is the founder of, uh, of PJTN and uh, going to be the leader of this event. It's going to be a great event. Hope you're going to be there in Hudson. If you haven't gone to the webpage at pjtn.org and find the registration button, it's going to be right at the top. It's going to flash for you right at the top. Make sure you do that. Uh, it's a very, very important thing. And I'm glad we had that just now because it really ties in perfectly to my next guest. Uh, there are so many, you know, uh, caring and concerned people, even those whose kids are grown and are maybe out of school who are fighting so hard against what they're trying to do to kids in classrooms, they, they recognize it might not be their kid anymore, 
Um, but the future, the, the, this Gen Z that we are seeing coming up right now and future generations are all going to be in peril if we don't do something to take back the classrooms and stop the indoctrinations. People all over the country. Now, the epicenter of this might be Loudoun County, Virginia. A lot of people have talked about this. We've covered many of the stories that have come from there uh, over the course of the last couple of years. And joining us now is uh, somebody who's been in the middle of that as well. He's an author. His book is... Tell me if this doesn't fit right in with what we just discussed. Parents of the World Unite, How to Save Our Schools from the Left's Radical Agenda. Ian Pryor is the author, and he joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer, to discuss. Ian, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Nice to have me. So let's talk about, before we get into the details of the book and the 12 rules that you have kind of uh, uh, recognized and come up with to fight um, uh, you know, against these types of schools and school boards, let's talk about the Loudoun County aspect of this. Tell me in the last couple of years, since we have seen some of the most outrageous things coming out of Loudoun County and some of the tremendous pushback from people like Matt Walsh, among others, who actually, I think, became a citizen or a resident, I should say, of Loudoun County to be able to speak to that board. Uh, dad's getting dragged out of there for protesting that their kids are being, uh, or their girls are being forced into restrooms with boys and all of these things. How has Loudoun County changed in the last two years, Ian? Well, it, it, it's really been quite a ride, and I think you kind of trace it back actually about four years where they, they really started to do this this equity push, right? You know, changing admission standards to their um, their technological school or their tech school to, you know, apply equity. Um, That's right. Good point. And then, you know, everything with the equity statements and, you know, detailed plan to end systemic racism in Loudoun County public schools and all kinds of things that you were just seeing that was just like it didn't make sense. I think parents started to get wise to that, but especially during the pandemic when they're, you know, they're sitting home with their kids, their kids are on their Chromebooks, parents are, are right nearby and they see, you know, you're either an oppressor or you're the oppressed. Um, that ultimately led to, you know, a, um, a pushback from, from parents, um, both on that and, and trying to reopen schools. And what you had was an enemies list created by a bunch of you know, radical activist parents out here on the left. Um, that, that listed, you know, 60 to 70 parents that were speaking at school board meetings. You had six school board members in that, that private Facebook group that was doing this, and, um, and they didn't denounce it. And it really just fired up the, the community, and, and they really started pushing forward with a, with a plan to try and remove some of these school board members. And every step of the way, the school board kept stepping in it, right? Um, they, they put a teacher on leave for, for protesting or for speaking out against a a transgender bathroom policy in the summer of 2021. They later passed that policy. Um, and then we found out when they were debating that policy and the superintendent was asked about sexual assault, he lied about it. And then they, they moved the kid to a different school and he sexually assaulted a second person. Uh, this all happened in October of 2021. So, you know, as a result of that, I think the, the, the electorate said enough. We're not going to vote for someone like Terry McAuliffe, who, you know, is on the side of these radicals. We're going to vote for Glenn Youngkin. So they, they elected Glenn Youngkin, they elected Jason Miares, and, and Youngkin authorized Miares to investigate LCPS, um, which led to a special grand jury investigation and indictments of our superintendent, our former superintendent and, and school spokesperson. So that's where we are now. We're heading into the summer where there's going to be trials for these individuals um, going into yet another election year in Virginia um, as far as you know, state, Senate, House of Delegates, and school boards. 
That is phenomenal. We're talking to Ian Pryor. <clears throat> Ian is an attorney, and he's an author. His book that we're talking about now just came out last month, Parents of the World Unite, How to Save Our Schools from the Left's Radical Agenda. So I'm glad you're right. It does go back four years. Um, I, I, I feel like a lot more of it has been, been brought to light in the last couple of years, but I'm so glad to get that very detailed history of this. Now, tell me about your own personal experience, why this is so personal to you. You've got two young daughters, right, who are in schools there in, in Loudoun County. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, I was I was on that list. Um, I was on that enemies list back in March of 2021, and it was, you know, I, I was put on there twice. Once for writing an article, you know, a few months before, really detailing how um, Loudoun County Public Schools had spent their money on these equity consultants. You know, half a million dollars uh, in 2019 alone, six hundred and twenty-five dollars an hour thereafter. Um, and then I spoke at a school board meeting about you know First Amendment issues late 2020. And that got me put on that list. I said, you know, I've got a real problem with attacking people for speaking their their point of view or for, you know, really trying to expose what's going on in in public bodies and in bureaucracies that are supposed to serve their constituency. Um, And so that really just fired me up. And, and, you know, I took up the the cause to sort of lead the fight. And, you know, the more we got in and involved, I think the more we uncovered and it just – it became something that you know we had to we had to finish the game. Ian, one more personal question before we get into the twelve rules that you use to fight the school board in Loudoun County, and that you're advising other people, the parents, to use in in their school boards uh, in, all across this country. Why not just take your daughters out? Why not just say we're not putting our kids in this cesspool? You, you've 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 outlined all of the things that were wrong with it, everything they did to you to try to silence you and others. You know what? We're putting our kids in a private school. We're not dealing with this. Why? Why stay in the fight? Well, I you know I think I think the reason to stay in the fight, no matter where your your kids are in school, um, how, how many how many kids go to private school or homeschool? Right, ten, fifteen percent of the population. You know, they're going to be dealing with this in the future. I mean, you. Public schools are educating the vast majority of the future leaders of America. So whether your your children are in private school or whether they're in public school, this is the mentality that they're going to have to deal with out in the workforce. So, you know, it's important to, to stay and fight um, because, you know, you're going to have to be dealing yourself are going to have to be dealing with this in, in 20 years, in 30 years. And you're going to see a generational impact that no longer looks at, America is a place where you can speak your mind, um, where you have you know the freedom to believe what you want to believe, the freedom to raise your family the way you want to raise them, and the freedom to to express your opinion. And that's unfortunately, I think the primary concern is that you know if you if you speak truth to power, they're going to try and destroy you. And and that is not what our country is about. Our our country is is based on the freedom of expression. No, you're 100% right it is. And um, one thing that I've heard from callers and people that I interact with here in our community here in Northeast Ohio, Ian Pryor, is that, you know, a lot of parents are afraid to get involved because if they get involved and if they take on the school board, if they take on school administrators, if they take on teachers, is that the blowback is going to hit their kids. They're the ones who have to go to school. Their parent, They're going to be the kids whose parents are being, you know, noisy and making all of this, these problems for them, and they don't want their kids to be targets. And that's the reason why I asked you, because it's it takes courage on the part of your daughters I, I feel like it has to you know to be the daughters of somebody who's fighting very very hard for them and for others but who create who make enemies in the process yeah it is it is a it is a tough process for for a lot of these parents i think you know you, you step to the microphone at a school board meeting and and you you know you put a target on your back mm-hmm. and you know i've i've certainly 
always always operate according to you know the law according to ethics um you know my motto is hit hard hit often but you, you hit legally right um the other side doesn't do that the other side is is looking to to go after the messenger because they can't debate the message um but you know parents have to have to ask themselves if, if this is the fight they want right is this are they going to stand by and and let you know the future of america be really dominated by these these woke progressive activists um that, that want to decide your children's fate going forward? Or are you going to step up and say, you know what, this is a fight worth taking. Um, this is a fight that, that is going to keep America what America is going to be, which is a place of freedom and opportunity, not a place of, you know, everybody comes to the same result and you have to fall in line with, you know, whatever the, the leftist thinking model of the day is. Yeah, I could not agree more. My kids are 21 and 19, so they're largely past that for, for the most part. Uh, but, but I do. I think, I think about my, uh, grandchildren to come, uh, and I think about generations to come after that. I think history is going to look back on this, this moment in time or this era anyway, and there, and it will judge us harshly if we do not do something to try to stop this, this radical indoctrination of kids. Uh, and so it's up to us to fight back. Uh, Ian Pryor is one of the leaders of that fight. His book is Parents of the World Unite. How to save our schools from the left's radical agenda, you have twelve rules that you discuss uh, to fight the you know you you fall use to fight uh, you know the most notorious school board in America, which is the Loudoun County Board. We can't go to all twelve of them. People are going to have to buy your book to read all of them. But I want to hit a few of them and ask you to expand upon them a little bit. Activate, sure. investigate, and communicate. What does that mean? Well, you know that that's really sort of the order on, on how things have to go. I mean, you have to find your activation point. What is that activation point? Um, and once you once you are activated, right? Once you know, for me, whether it was being put on that list or whether it was, you know, finding out that they were implementing these these equity agendas, um, I decided to really dig in, and I said, you know what, I'm going to take this fight on. And you have to make that decision, and you have to go in and know you're crossing the Rubicon. And, and that's just the way it's going to go. And then you have to investigate. You have to figure out exactly what is going on, right? So I used Freedom of Information Act to get that information about how much money was being spent, um, talking to other parents engaged in the fight. You, you know, you can learn a lot from crowdsourcing that information, whether it's, you know, in, in parent Facebook groups or, you know, just word of mouth. Um, and then communicating. And, you know, that's, that's, again, you need to communicate within your own networks, but you really need to communicate to the media as well. And I, I always find that, when you're talking about things like dollars and cents and, and spending and where the money goes, um, the media is going to be interested in that, especially once you have bigger numbers. So, you know, it's kind of a rinse, rinse and repeat thing, activate, investigate, communicate, and then go find more people to activate um, by, you know, investigating and communicating to them what's going on and building your numbers, um, because ultimately you're usually going against a massive bureaucracy, so you need to have, have the numbers to back you as well. Ian Pryor is our guest. Um, his book is uh, Parents of the World Unite, How to Save Our Schools from the Left's Radical Agenda. We're talking about 12 rules to take the fight to the school board. One of these I found very interesting was turn your fight into must-see TV. What does that mean? Well, you know, I think when we really started started going hard in, in mid-2021, um, we would use these these school board speeches to to communicate, and you know it was it was really fascinating because at, at that point in time, the Lawton County School Board would actually have the video on the um, on the speaker, and these things are all public, right? They're all on their their public website, um, so you can clip those speeches and then you can push those out. And what we started seeing was you know different parents giving really passionate speeches 
And we would push that out on social media. We would push it out on email lists. We would push it out to the media. And next thing you know, you, you start seeing people on, on television talking about their speech or on the radio talking about their speech. And it becomes, you know, it be, or, or press conferences. We would have press conferences with, with the news media there so that people are now watching the story as it unfolds on television or listening to it on the radio. And it's not simply just on social media or it's not simply just, you know, writing letters to your school board. But, you know, folks in the community and beyond are seeing what's happening. And then they started doing the same thing. You know, one example was we had some parents that, you know, I think we may have been the first first group um, that did the books issue. And we had a bunch of parents that printed out on, on poster boards um, some of the language that was in the books that were being assigned in class. And they brought the poster boards up with them to the podium. And then they read the read the language to the school board. And sure enough, that, you know, that landed up on TV. And, and so there's a, an element of showmanship that needs to be attached to this so that people will pay attention to your movement. Yeah, and, and, and maybe inspired to join the movement. You know, obviously there's safety in numbers and there, there's security in that, and people are more confident if they see it. So if these things make the press, like you say, or make people's social media feeds or whatever, uh, and it inspires other people to say, I want to do that too, that's important. Uh, talk about mobilization. When they mobilize, go gorilla. Not that gorilla, but G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A gorilla. Yeah, well, so, you know, one of the things in Loudoun County, this June 22nd school board meeting, um, in 2021, where, you know, at the time it looked pretty bad, right? I mean, there were, there was an arrest. Uh, it made national news. They, they started to catch on, right? They're always going to catch on. The other, the other side is always going to adapt. And they realized that we were using the, the media aspect to, um, to really run the show and, and set the narrative. So now they had a point where, where they could start setting the narrative and the narrative they want that, well, look at these insurrectionist parents. Um, but we had a mission, and our mission was to collect, you know, tens and thousands of signatures to try and remove school board members. So in the summer, when school's out, when school board meetings are, are no longer um, happening until, you know, as you get closer to the fall. Uh-oh. Um, let's go door to door. Let's talk to people on the ground. So this is something but ended having those face-to-face conversations to really explain what is happening. Well, Ian, I'll tell you what, I've got time for a couple more, but uh, your phone is starting to break up, so we're going to go ahead and call it a uh, day here. But I want to remind everybody where they can read all about all of these rules that you guys use that are so successful and some of the other strategies that can be employed in order to protect our schools and, more importantly, protect our kids from what our schools have become. Parents of the World Unite is the book, How to Save Our Schools from the Left's Radical Agenda. Find that online. Uh, Obviously, on Amazon is where everybody goes. Anywhere else, Ian, a website to promote or... Uh, you follow me at, at. Yeah, the phone's not going to cooperate. Noble. Oh, sorry about that. That's okay. It keeps cutting out every time you try to talk again. But I did hear Barnes and Noble, so we'll tell people to go there as well and find Ian uh, Ian Pryor on uh, on uh, uh, Twitter and social media as well. The book "Parents of the World Unite." Ian, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it very much. Ten fifty three. We'll be back. Ten fifty-six, winding down hour number two. Not to worry, we have hour number three still to come. Thanks again to Ian Pryor. Thanks to uh, Congressman Jim Jordan. Thanks to Pastor Chris Long. I told you we were going to be packed today, and I told you we would not have a lot of time for calls, and I apologize for that. But we will make some at the end of the show. Uh, but uh, our next guest coming up at 1110 
is going to be Jonah Schultz. And Jonah is doing some work uh, similar to what we just talked about, but a little bit, little bit, you know, a little bit further down the road. We're talking about protecting kids in a different way. Uh, there's going to be a town hall event that Jonah is hosting. Um, it's called Town Hall Against Child Mutilation. And it's going to be held in Medina. It's going to be coming up on uh, Wednesday. And uh, 45 to 60 minutes of panel remarks, followed by questions and answers from the people who are there. Uh, your presence is, of course, requested, and it's essential in, in, in showing support for legislative action to stop um, the mutilation of kids. And you know, it's, it's funny, I was looking at a, a TV report, report this morning on Fox, and they were showing the number of states that have laws against child mutilation or child, what the left likes to call, you know, gender affirming care by, by cutting off healthy organs. Um, and I was startled by the map that they showed of the scant few states that have banned this. Uh, and I was also not surprised actually that one of them was not Ohio. Um, there were only, I want to say a dozen, maybe a little bit less, maybe, maybe nine or ten. Uh, states actually have some sort of laws against this. Ohio's not one of them. So we do need legislative action. And we do need support of the people who care about kids, who care about this ongoing movement, this complete and utter political agenda that is being, that is using children, using children and their identities and their sexuality in order to advance a political goal, advance toward a political goal. And that is literally what is happening. So will we join that list of that very short list of states right now that is doing something to ban the mutilation of children? That any sort of quote unquote uh, trans care or gender affirming care that involves chemical castration, hormones or blockers, or surgical mutilations must be done over the age of eighteen. It's probably still too young in my opinion, but at eighteen we consider people to be adults. So we're going to talk about that with Jonah Schultz coming up after the top of the hour news right here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz. On AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three is underway. Good morning. Once again, if you've been with us for the first two hours and you're still here, God bless you. Love you. Thank you. 
If you have not been in here for the first two hours and you're just now turning the radio on AM 1420, the answer for the first time today, God bless you. Love you anyway. Seriously, whether you can listen for five minutes or for three hours, I really appreciate you being here. Whenever you can devote the time, we'd like to try to bring you important information, uh, education, and a little bit of fun at the same time. So appreciate you doing your part of that. It is uh, the 24th morning of the fourth month, year of our Lord, 2023. As promised, we've been very heavy with guests today. We had Jim Jordan in hour number one. We had Chris Long in hour number two. We had uh, Ian Pryor also in hour number, hour number two. And I want you to listen to any one of those interviews that you may have missed by catching it at uh, whkradio.com after the show. About an hour after the show ends, you'll be able to hear all of the segments and interviews uh, that you may have missed. Or if you want to share them with others, you heard them and you think somebody else needs to hear them, you can share them by going to the podcast page at whkradio.com. We continue now with our cavalcade of superstar guests with our friend Jonah Schultz. Jonah is a former congressional candidate. He is also a new author. His first book came out earlier this year, Common Sense for a Dying Nation. And he joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer, to talk about another initiative. Jonah, good morning. Good to have you back, my friend. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Bob. Thanks for calling me a superstar. I appreciate it. How's the book doing? It's doing great. We're seeing some good numbers on it, great response so far. And uh, you know, it's a, it's a great book, easy read that you can find on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And, uh, it's really what some people have, have called, not my own words, but a, a blueprint for how we save this country. Uh, and I think we need it now more than ever. You know, before we talk about the event coming up on Wednesday, that's the reason, of course, I invited you to, uh, invited you on. Remind people who didn't know about your book or didn't hear our first interview. Tell us what Common Sense for a Dying Nation is all about. Sure. Well, Common Sense for a Dying Nation. It's an assertion of basic facts that we once knew to be true as Americans, where our rights come from, how we ought to live our lives as free Americans, what the meaning of liberty truly is. Are we creating a society that that truly deserves to be free? You know, it examines really the problems of our time from a political, a cultural, a spiritual perspective, understanding that all three of these areas are inextricably linked. You can't just fight on one of these battlefields. You have to fight on all three, it's inspired by uh, Thomas Paine's Common Sense from 1776, because I believe in this time in history we're, we're fighting our, we're in our own 1776, we're in our own revolutionary period where we're either going to fall away as a great superpower, as a great beacon of freedom and liberty, or we are going to launch into a new era, uh, a new, new generations of prosperity and freedom. And, and I believe we have to change the way we think, the way we behave as a society, if we're going to see that rebirth, and, and that's why I wrote Common Sense for a Dying Nation. Fantastic. I love the principle of it. I love reading it, by the way, and it's a, it's a tremendous, uh, like you said, or somebody said about you, uh, a roadmap or a blueprint, if you will, toward addressing so much of what is ailing this nation right now. So that's fantastic. Now tell us about what's happening on Wednesday. I uh, described it a little bit, but I don't know a ton about it. Normally I know more about the events that I'm going to promote, but um, I just I promote the title uh, in this case, and I support it, and I know you, so I know it's going to be good. Tell us who is responsible here and what is going to happen on Wednesday in the town hall against child mutilation event sure so on wednesday at 7 p.m in medina 729 stone road we are partnering with ohio freedom fighters and uh you know we have the committee for child safety that is putting on this town hall against child mutilation we're going to be joined by state representatives jennifer gross and beth lear you'll remember jennifer gross from house bill 248 a great medical freedom champion for us we're going to have state school board member john hagan and then a panel of medical experts to really 
dig into the issue that's happening right here in Ohio and across the country, across the globe, of this attack against our children. We want people to come down to be able to ask questions directly of their representatives to get up to speed on what's going on in the state house to combat these things going on in Ohio to protect children in Ohio to be able to educate themselves to be able to get active see how they can help out in this fight because across America and, and in Ohio we're seeing a coordinated effort to, to confuse and harm our children through these dangerous and and irreversible medical procedures and, and I say irreversible very intentionally because there's a lie sold to so many individuals that they can simply put a pause on puberty or there will be no long-term effects. But we know that these puberty blockers, we know that these, obviously these sex reassignment surgeries have permanent effects, permanent damages that these children will never be able to recover from when the vast majority uh, outgrow uh, their, their gender dysphoria. And, and ultimately we know that this is about confusing and, and sending society into chaos. It's another power grab that we're seeing through society. But this town hall is going to benefit House Bill 68, which is the Safe Act, Safe Act in, in, in our state house right now, uh, sponsored by uh, Representative Gary Click, which would ban these, these puberty blockers and sex reassignment surgeries on minors in Ohio. So the panel members are going to discuss their views, their areas of expertise, how we can combat this, what we can do as individuals. And most importantly, we need to get out, show our support, show Speaker Stevens and, and those individuals in the State House that with a Republican supermajority that we have, nothing less than this type of legislation is going to be acceptable. So we want to get out in a physical manner, in a public showing of support to, to show that, that we're not going away until our Republican legislator starts acting like one. Yeah, I'll I'll try to refrain from bashing the notion of our supermajority because it's not a supermajority yeah. when 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 uh, a good a good portion of that supermajority sided with the Democrats and who are gonna are gonna have to uh, repay whatever agreement that they made uh, for their support. But let's stay with uh, the people that we know we can trust, like Gary Click. Who else is sponsoring and pushing the Safe Act? Well, there's over 20 members of, of the State House of Representatives who are supporting the State Act. You can go online if you just Google. Go ahead and Google House Bill 68 Ohio. It'll come right up. You can read all of the sponsors of that legislation. Jennifer Gross and Beth Lear, who are going to be at our town hall on Wednesday, are both co-sponsors of this legislation and very passionate uh, supporters of it. Um, so we want to be able to get behind those individuals and show those individuals on the fence as well that, we're going to remember this come election time if you're not going to get behind. This should be the bare minimum that we're doing in the state house, right? If, if we can't protect our children in the state of Ohio, if we can't say no, we're not going to be lopping off healthy body parts of children, then w- what else are we really even having a conversation about? Obviously, if you're not going to pursue this, you're not going to pursue anything else, and you're, you're no good to us in the state house, so why should we keep you around and and that's going to be on us as the people to stop having such short memories on these issues and really start getting aggressive. Uh, you know, I'm not talking about violence or anything like that, but getting aggressive in a, in, a, in a voting manner uh, towards these legislators that continue to let us down. Yeah, no, 100% agree. Jonah Schultz is my guest. Jonah is going to be. Are, are you emceeing this event yourself, Jonah? Yes, that's correct. I'll be emceeing. We'll have some. We'll have some prepared questions. We'll ha- we'll have the panel discussion. For about the first hour of the event, and then we'll have a full hour dedicated to individuals who want to come up, ask questions of our medical professionals, of John Hagan on the state school board, or of our state representatives there, where they can get their their questions answered in a public fashion and and, and directly to them. 
Okay, so you've answered a little bit of what I was about to ask you. So you're going to MC. John Hagen is going to be there. I heard you say Jen Gross. Who else is going to be on the panel? Well, it's State Representative uh, Beth Lear, and then we're going to have a, a panel of medical experts, pediatricians, psychologists, uh, nurses, individuals who have worked with children on these issues. Um, and so really taking this on from the legislative perspective, from our school perspective, and then having individuals who have that medical expertise talking on this issue that can really be able to arm ourselves as individuals to be able to combat this issue in the public square. Jenna, are you concerned about, and I ask this only because my eyes are open and I see any time these types of events are held, there are protests, and there are some people who get nasty and violent, and uh, you know, and I want anybody to be violent, obviously, but I've just seen too much uh, from the trans activists who have been proven to be, in my estimation, my opinion alone, some of the most hateful people in in the country. They hate anybody who speaks to actually protecting children from this type of barbaric um, activity. You know, these puberty blockers and, and chemical castrations and physical mutilations. Anybody who is opposed to that is the enemy of this trans movement, and they get very, very nasty sometimes. So are you prepared, or is there any contingency for anything like that? Well, the great thing about this event is that, you know, we're, we're, we're holding it on, you know, private property, right? We have the ability to be able to, uh, you know, maintain the situation better than depending on, you know, any public individuals who, again, we, we know uh, will oftentimes side on the wrong side of this issue. Um, but what we really want to do is, is we want to step out fearlessly because the, the, these individuals that you just mentioned, these, these transgender activists, these radical gender ideologues who want to, to really bully us into submission, they, they are depending on our fear and our silence and our willingness to stay home and, and in, in silence and in darkness. And so we have a responsibility, a heightened responsibility now to step out and be louder because we may have a silent majority, but it, it needs to stop being silent. I mean, a silent majority does us no good. A sleeping giant does no good. The giant needs to awaken. And so at this point, we need to all have the courage to step out, to be bold, and to say, hey, I'm, I'm willing to you know, put myself on the line in a way for my children, for this future, for all of these kids that are being targeted. And, and be that bold courage that, that we saw in 1776, those individuals who, who didn't know how it was going to pan out, right? They stepped up, they put everything on the line, and we need to be willing to do the same. I'm not saying that we're going to have any kind of issue at, at this event, but what I am saying is in a, in a public manner, we need to pledge our lives, our fortune, and our sacred honor to de- defend the things we love most. Jonah Schultz is my guest. Jonah is an author. He's a former congressional candidate, and now he is uh, leading this important panel on Wednesday, this Wednesday, the 26th, 7 p.m. in Medina. Uh, Location there in Medina, Jonah? It is 7291 Stone Road in Medina. Uh, Ohio Freedom Fighters is is the group that is hosting us. Um, You can find more information uh, at Jonah Schultz on Facebook. Uh, You'll find the event page and everything right there, Jonah Schultz on Facebook, where you can learn more, see our guests, our panel of experts, and and read a little bit more about it. Uh, But 7 p.m. on Wednesday, we hope to see everyone there. Yeah, I hope to see a huge crowd there as well. It's so very important. And I know not everybody can go to every single event because there are so many things, but I love the ambition and I love the uh, you know, the willingness for people to put in their time like you and uh, the representatives that are going to be there, the medical professionals, and so on and so forth, um, because it shows that we are not taking this lying down. We are not giving up the fight. We are not going to lose this culture war. We didn't pick it. We didn't start it. We don't want to fight it, but we are going to fight it because winning it is absolutely essential. Now that they have... Uh, they have declared war on our kids. This is this is um, 
This is what I think we're called to do at this moment. Jonah, you're answering that call, so thank you for doing it, and thanks for letting us know all about it. Absolutely, Bob. Thank you so much. All the best to you. Thank you, Jonah. Jonah Schultz will be emceeing that event on Wednesday, then again, in Medina. You can get the information, as you just heard. Go to... um, Ohio Freedom Fighters page, if you want. I'm sure it's there since they're sponsoring the event. Jonah's page on Facebook, and you can find all of the information, including the location there on Stone Road in Medina. And don't forget, as long as we're on it, Jonah's book. It's a short read. It's a good read. It's an important read. Uh, Common Sense for a Dying Nation. You can find that on Amazon and in other other, uh, places where you get your books. 1122. So here's what we've done. We've cleared a little space now before the bottom of the hour and after the bottom of the hour to hear from you. Like I said, I knew we weren't going to have a lot of calls today. We had a ton of guests, but now the time is yours. 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Whatever you want to get into, we'll do it on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1125, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. So I, I was um, I was reading one of the stories um, about what happened in Louisville, Kentucky. In Louisville, Kentucky, the bank shooting, which is one of three mass shootings that kind of took place in a very short period of time. And I read a story about the manifesto. Uh, from the shooter in that case, which was revealed, or at least it was leaked, I don't know, uh, but the Daily Mail got it. And it turns out there were three core reasons or motivations for the shooter uh, in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, to, to carry out that, that act of mass murder in the bank. And one of those three was to get stronger gun control laws. He wanted to, he set out to prove that it was too easy to get a gun because he went and got a gun. He got an AR-15, and then he went and used it to shoot up a bank, his bank, where he worked, shot up people who knew. The other thing was to kill himself, so clearly he was not in a a great state of mind. Uh, Those were two, and what was the third reason? Uh, That's irrelevant. My main focus here was the second or the first one, which was that he wanted to prove that it was too easy to get a gun. So he wanted to enact stronger gun control laws. In order to achieve that, he went and shot and killed uh, five people. Now, why do I bring that up? Because I want to find out exactly how people feel about guns as 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 a tool. Are they more of a tool of evil, or are they more of a tool for good? Since guns are all created to kill... That is exactly what they're created to do. That's why they were built. That's why they're sold. That's why they're used to kill. Nobody shoots things for any other purpose than to kill it. That's just the reality of it. So are they, are they, are they for the better or are they for the worse? So I put a little survey question on my social media last night, and I said I was going to read some of the answers on the radio today. And here's the question that I put out there on that same uh, thought plane. If you were dropped off in a hostile foreign territory or in the middle of a riot in a major American city or in a jungle filled with dangerous animals and you could only have one of these tools, which would you choose? Would you choose a cell phone or a gun? Obviously, the cell phone could be helpful. 
if you pick it up and you dial it and you call for help before either somebody, one of the rioters gets you, or one of the wild animals in the jungle gets you, or then one of the hostile foreign uh, nationals gets you in those three incidents. I wanted to find out, and I'm asking gun control advocates or anti-gun nuts which one they would choose. And so far, on two different social media platforms, I have not seen one person say, I'd rather have the phone. They all want guns. Huh. I find that a little fascinating, don't you? Everybody, regardless of what their preconceived notion about guns is, about whether they're evil and dangerous and we should get rid of all the guns in America, like some other countries have done, disarm the population entirely, except, of course, for the criminals and the government. They're the only ones who would have guns, criminals and the government. But for those who say disarm the population, guns are evil, it seems like everybody, and I didn't ask them what they're particular stance on the Second Amendment was, but everybody has said, I'd rather have the gun. Why? Well, to protect myself. Well, would you look at that? In a foreign country, a hostile foreign country, you'd rather protect yourself against those who would wish to do yourself harm. Seems to me like you feel like guns are a tool for good. For defense. In the matter of a wild American Street riot, the likes of which we saw in 2020 all over this country? Would you rather have a cell phone or a gun? People said, gun. Why? Well, to protect myself. Because there's a riot going on and violence is happening. Well, would you look at that? Guns thought of as a tool for good. And then what about if you're in that jungle? Why would you rather have the gun instead of the... Wouldn't you rather call for a helicopter ride out of there? Well, Lord only knows how, how long that would take. And while you're waiting for your helicopter ride, if you use a cell phone, Lord only knows how many different types of beasts are looking to feasts on you. I'd rather have the gun. Why? Well, to protect myself. Well, would you look at that? Everybody who responded to this said, guns, I want a gun. Sounds to me like guns actually are not a tool for evil. They are a tool for good, for self-protection and defense. How about that? I'll read some of the responses coming up after the bottom of the hour news, and I'll even take some of your calls, 216-901-0945, We'll be back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. Final segment of this Monday morning. Again, if you missed any interviews, you're going to want to go back and listen to those at WHKRadio.com sometime after the show. Starting at about 1 o'clock, they will be posted. We've had great interviews all day. Let's get a couple of great phone calls now to wrap this up this morning before we ask uh, Bill O'Reilly to take us to the top of the hour. Tanya is in Akron. Tanya, thanks for waiting. Go right ahead. Hey, Bob. How are you? I'm good. I'll see you on Sunday at the meeting. Uh, Oh, are you going to be in Hudson? Yes, indeed. Wonderful. Good Good to hear. Good to hear. So what's on your mind right now? Uh, gun is a tool, and it's a tool for good. And it's more than just for shooting for food. It's good more than just protecting for robbers that invade your house. It was set up 
in case we get a tyrannical government, our neighbors and in our community, we could get together and arm up and take our country back. So we, it has more, it's multi-purpose. It's not like a knife. It's a gun. We can do more with that. You could do many of the same things with a knife that you can, or uh, uh, with a gun that you can also do with a knife. But it is obviously a lot safer. That's the reason why. That's the reason why. You exactly. Know, they, I don't have to be so close. I can be know. on the top of the hill. I don't right. have to be at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they started to realize. <laughs> they started to realize a long, long time. And thank you, Tanya, for the call. A long, long, long time ago. If you have to be in close contact with somebody to protect yourself, you are in very, very serious danger. Uh, for example, that's how David slew Goliath. If he had to get up close and personal with him, he would have gotten squashed. Fling a rock at him from a distance right between the eyes, and down he goes. Down goes Goliath. Down goes Goliath. I wish I could do a Howard Cosell impersonation right now. Which is why we started to try to commit our uh, our damage to those who are threatening us from a distance rather than from up close. That's what led to arrows and spears and obviously ultimately bullets. So, yeah, and and the point, of course, is obvious. Uh, it is not intended only just to kill for the purposes of self-defense, but to kill food as well. My point is, obviously, that if given the choice, people would always prefer a gun, even gun control Advocates, even gun haters, even anti-Second Amendment people, they would rather have a gun if they were dropped in the middle of a foreign country, a hostile foreign country, in the middle of a riot, or in the middle of a, of a jungle. In any of those circumstances, you can, here's a phone, call for help. Call for your, your social worker to see if they can talk the rioters out of harming you right now. Call your ambassador to see if they can stop the foreign national from killing you right now. Call for a ride or an airlift out of a jungle to see if you can stop that tiger from consuming you right now. No, people always would rather have the gun. And yet they tell us that they want to ban guns from all Americans. Charlie, the politically incorrect mechanic in Lakewood, is on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Charlie, what's up, my friend? Good morning, sir. Good morning. What's on your mind? So there's already, as far as on your survey question, there was already an excellent case study uh, done about this, although not uh, uh, legitimately sanctioned by anyone, where downtown Cleveland during the 2020 riots, uh, there was two situations that took place at the exact same time. One was the woman, Colossal, uh, Colossal Cupcakes, who was forced to cower and lock herself on the phone, while on the phone, in her closet with her staff, while rioters ransacked and robbed her store. The other situation where we have firearms in place was the guys at Corbo's Bakery, where they stood in their doorway with their firearms and kept anybody from coming into the store. And the worst thing that happened there was one of the coward rioters took his skateboard and busted one of the windows as he walked away uh, like the coward that they are. That is so an absolutely as... perfect case study. You you termed it right. It's a case study. Yep. Here's here's one store owner had the phone. The other store owner had the gun. Which one was damaged? Which one suffered? Which one was more protected? And that's the whole point that I was trying to make with this survey. Charlie, you couldn't have done it any better. That was perfect. Thanks, Bob. Have a good rest of your day. You do the same, my friend. Thank you. God bless. Uh, Charlie is spot on. Uh, it, that's exactly my point. When... 
seconds count and the police are minutes away, or in the case of a riot, or in the case of a jungler, or in the case of a foreign country, they're nowhere to be found. What are you going to do? How are you going to survive? And the answer is I'd rather have a firearm. Everyone agrees, even the anti-gun nuts. Uh, some of the responses from Eric, a gun, only a dummy would want a cell phone to take a selfie as they're being killed in any one of those situations. Lisa says a gun, obviously you need to defend yourself. John says a gun, because you can't defend yourself with a cell phone. Peter said, obviously a phone. With that, I could call a social worker to come and talk to the mob on my behalf. Of course, you fascists would never understand that. Dwayne said a gun, and then I would nicely ask to use someone's phone. <laughs> Terry says a gun. Who would I call that would actually help me fast enough? With a gun, I have a chance and can eliminate threats. Chris said, if others wanted to hurt me, I could uh, I could only reason or barter my life once with the cell phone. With the gun, I have as many chances to survive as the amount of bullets that I have and my aim. Chris, well done. All of those responses were great. Thanks to everyone for a great conversation today. Thanks to my team, and thanks Let's to you for listening. Brandon. Have a great day. Be well, be safe. Stay free. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.